Hi, and welcome to the Fem Factor podcast. We are your co-hosts, Dr. Laura and Dr. Nicole. This is a place for women just like you desiring to learn, be inspired, and find community. We'll be discussing everything from health, longevity, and aging, to mindset, high performance, and cycle syncing, to intuition and healing physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All from a lens that is based both upon the latest health research and feminine energetics. Blending equal parts scientific evidence and inner wisdom, we invite you to elevate your biology, empower your intuition, and embody your magic. Our guest today is Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, the premier women's health expert bringing pelvic peace, hormone harmony, sexy sizzle, and crazy confidence to busy women. Dr. Betsy is a best-selling author, award-winning speaker, entrepreneur, inventor, and business leader specializing in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery for over 20 years. Dr. Greenleaf is a trailblazer as she is also the first female in the United States to become board certified in urogynecology. She is the director of femversity.com, whose mission is empowerment through education, dedicated to providing women and practitioners a place to learn how to thrive utilizing natural healing and holistic wellness. She is also the CEO of the Pelvic Floor Store, an online store dedicated to finding reliable pelvic health products. Dr. Betsy is the host of the Some of Your Parts podcast dedicated to women's wellness and the notion that you are greater than the sum of your parts. She is also the host of Pleasure Forever, her new podcast with co-host and sex therapist Marissa Nelson and host of the internet show, Body, Mind, Spirit, which focuses on the trinity of total health. Dr. Betsy is the best-selling co-author of You Were Made to Be Unstoppable, and she is the host of the Happy Vagina Rally, a women's online summit all about hormones, pelvic health, and women's wellness. Dr. Greenleaf takes a holistic body, mind, spirit approach to healing and wellness. She believes many of the answers to a healthy life are found within, and she views her role in life as your women's wellness guide. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as we did. Welcome to the show, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. We are so, so honored and happy to have you here. And I am just so excited for this conversation all about pelvic health, women's sexual health, the microbiome, pelvic meditation, all the good things. I'm so excited, Dr. Nicole and Dr. Laura, to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, it is. A little background for our listeners. My first introduction to Dr. Betsy was when she announced herself as the vagina doctor in a mastermind we were both in. And I immediately was like, this lady and I are going to be friends. I I like what she's all about. (laughs) I mean, we need so much. We need so much more conversation around this topic, right? And to not just beat around the bush. Yeah, literally. literally. <laughs> um, no pun intended. But I just, yeah, please, like, we would love to know what drew you to this area, what drew you to, you know, medicine and then moving on to like meditations. And you're going to tell us all about what events coming up. So please, please, we're all ears. You know what I have to say? I think I'm going to steal that line. Like, let's not beat around the bush. True talk about vagina health. You know? As so, long as you cite me, we're fine. I, know, no, we're I love that. So, yeah, you know, I was one of those people who went to medical school and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to do pediatrics. And though kids are adorable, their parents are a pain in the butt. So I then found myself drawn to a lot of the surgical subspecialties because I was one of those people that really wanted to make a quick difference in someone's life. And so when I did my family practice rotation, for me, I I just found it torturous to do like, here, take this pill, come back in a month. All right, you're still the same here. Take this other pill, come back in a month. So like for me, surgery was a way to make a quick difference, but you know, it was interesting. I started up in general surgery and I found quickly that they, though general surgeons are amazing people, they're kind of like body mechanics. 
Like they just get in, get out, fix things. And they, they don't really develop these like long-term relationships with their patients. And I was the one who was walking around on um, rounds in the hospital and be like, so how do you feel now that your appendix is out? Like I wanted more of like a relationship with the patients. And so then I switched into OBGYN, but I like to sleep and babies come at all hours of the night. And I just did not do well with that lack of sleep. And it wasn't until my very last rotation before I graduated from residency that I discovered urogynecology. And so I kind of came home and said to my family, like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And my the first reaction from my mom was like, urogynecology, like, what is that? Is that like fancy gynecology, like Euro Disney, like very European? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, it's Euro, like urology having to do with the bladder and gynecology. So it was all addressing all the whole pelvic health. So all the organs in the pelvis. So um, next thing you know, that I found myself doing urogynecology and then kind of went down that road. Um, You know, the interesting thing is having trained in traditional medicine, I quickly learned over the years that, okay, great, all these things I learned and surgeries weren't really fixing my patients and I didn't have the tools that I needed to really address the things that I wanted to. And so that kind of led me down the rabbit hole of starting to look into integrative medicine and functional medicine and then kind of where I am now is looking at the whole like body, mind, spirit aspect of medicine, because I can throw my tools at somebody all day long, but if they're not addressing their their mental health, their spiritual health, they're just not going to get better. So now I kind of have a much more holistic view and, and uh, near the end of my surgical, I don't perform surgery anymore, but near the end of my surgical career, I was like the anti-surgery surgeon. Like, I think I talked more people out of having surgery than I was actually doing surgery. Cause I was like, wait, if we can fix things naturally and holistically and try to avoid surgery and like do surgery as the last, you know, absolute last phase, why not? Where, where unfortunately I will admit that at that time, that was not a popular thing. I was working for a hospital and I had the hospital breathing down my back saying like, do more surgery, do more surgery, do more surgery. And I'm like, I'm not going to do surgery just to do surgery. Like I'm going to make sure it's the right person, the right reasons. And so, yeah, so that's, that's how I got to where I am today. Gosh, what, what a journey really kind of bridging both halves of the health and wellness space, right? Like really growing up in your profession in a more conventional very male dominated setting. I will say in case you missed it in her bio, Dr. Betsy is the first female physician ever board certified in urogynecology. So yay for you talk about a trailblazer. And then really this other lovely part of your journey where you kind of stepped back and said, well, wait, what if, what if there's other things that are contributing to this? It's not just about cutting things out. Um, surgically speaking, at least it's this whole other, other half of the picture. So I, what I really want to ask you about is, you know, you're, you're working around vaginas. We're working about sexual health here. So that, that transition from a traditional disease oriented model to looking at mind, body, spirit, especially in regards to women's sexual health, what are you finding has changed for you when a lot of women come to you with, with various issues? Yeah. You know, one of the things I am absolutely obsessed with right now is the microbiome. So for those who don't know what the microbiome is, it's like we have these little universes inside our body of bacteria and organisms that keep us healthy. And the microbiome in our mouth is different than that of our gut and that's different in the vagina. And talk about a rabbit hole. Like the more I read about the microbiome, the more I'm just absolutely amazed and seeing all these crazy connections. I mean, I joke around like, you know, the little song when you're a kid, like the hip bones connected to the knee bone. Well, I'm going to do a whole new version where it's like your vagina is connected to your gut and your gut's connected to your brain. And you're like, wait a minute, the brain. And then the brain is connected to the vagina. And you're like, wait a minute, those are two separate, uh, uh, like opposite ends of the body. How are they connected? And it's, it's amazing that all these areas of the body are talking to each other through the microbiome. And, you know, we kind of think of ourselves as these like beings unto ourselves, but we're really finding that our microbiome really runs a lot of our day-to-day 
interactions, our thoughts, our mood, and can affect our sex drive, can lead to, I mean, I'm sure you you all know this, that like I can confidently sit here and say that 90% of all medical conditions are either caused or worsened by a poor gut microbiome. And so it's just, I'm absolutely fascinated by all these little intricacies and connections between the bacteria. Um, and, you know, I had a personal story with this because being traditionally medicine, you know, I ha- found myself having hysterectomy when I was 40 and all of a sudden started having all these mood problems and brain fog and kind of like getting angry for no reason and a little anxious, a little depressed. And then around the same time, I was also getting sick all the time. And I just thought, okay, yeah, I'm working really hard. I'm probably just stressed out. I'm running down my immune system. But the the mood and the brain fogginess stuff, I started thinking like, which most of my patients would come in and be like, all right, I'm having these problems, you know, having low sex drive. I'm having all these issues. Like, give me hormones. Well, I found that the hormones weren't working. I found that the antidepressants weren't working. I was on antibiotics all the time. And then as I got into functional medicine, all of a sudden this light bulb went off one day and I'm like, wait a minute, what does like anxiety, depression, brain fog and low sex drive and um, getting sick all the time, what do they all have to do with each other? And I went, wait, it's your gut health because 90% of our serotonin, our happy hormone is made in the gut. Um, And 80% of our immune system is made in the gut. And also to throw on top of that, I was getting recurrent urinary tract infections and recurrent vaginal infections. And I started putting all the pieces together and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. So I took a look at my gut. And one of the first things I found is I was riddled with yeast in my gut. And so once we actually, I was, I, I got to the point where seeing an immunologist who was telling me that I had some kind of hereditary immune problem that just shows up in your forties. And that I was just going to be more prone to getting ill. And so I really made it a uh, effort to fix my gut and looked at my diet, took out inflammatory foods. Um, I can get into which ones are, are, are inflammatory foods. But then what happened was all of a sudden I started getting better. Like, like now I would always say, check with your doctors. Don't just go like off your antidepressants and being like, you know, I'm going to fix my gut. I'm getting off these antidepressants. But I slowly came off the antidepressants, which weren't working for me anyway. And my mood was getting better. All of a sudden I wasn't getting sick as much. I went a full year. And now this has been probably like five or six years ago now. I haven't had a yeast infection um, since then. And prior to that, I was getting one almost every single month. It seemed like from the time I hit puberty on. And so, um, yeah, so all of a sudden, and the best thing was when I went to my immunologist and she's looking at my numbers and she goes, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is your numbers are all normal. The bad news, I have no explanation why. And I'm like, you know what, this is, this is what we're talking about. You fix your gut and everything else goes along. And then I'll make the connection too with the sex drive. They're finding out that if your gut microbiome is off, you have more risk of having a low sex drive and infertility issues. If your vaginal microbiome is off, you have a higher risk of having gut, um, low sex drive and infertility issues because any time those bacteria are now unbalanced, the body is sensing, the brain is sensing it as a stressor. There's inflammation that's occurring in the body and the body's going, wait a minute, we're inflamed. That's a stress. So when we're stressed, we're going to divert all our resources away from reproduction, which means sex drive and fertility. And we're going to put it all into, into our, our stress hormones. So this is, you know, and I started like when I figured it out myself, I started doing it again and again for my patients. And we started seeing the same improvements over and over again. And I'm like, this is crazy. So, wow. Fantastic story. I think of so many women, stressed out women, right? Mm -hmm. Or going to their doctor saying, I have no sex drive. And they're being handed antidepressants and being told to just relax, which of course is the 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 least helpful yeah. thing for any woman to ever hear. Oh, I just had to relax. Like I didn't know Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. how powerful that there's 
this whole other aspect of looking at it, that it's not, it's not just because you're stressed out and not relaxing. It's your body is perceiving these other stressors that you might not be thinking about and, and not really sensing it's, it's safe for, for you to, to be, to reproduce, even if that's not your end goal. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then it becomes very kind of circuitous in that, I mean, stress does take, you know, affects the body too. So it, you know, if even you have the perfect diet, you know, you weren't eating any inflammatory, but you're doing the perfect diet, you're at, you're, you're exercising perfectly. But if you're under mental stress, because you're having issues in your relationship or work is tough, or you've got like financial issues or family's crazy, whatever the stressor is, now that in return can also raise those stress hormones and lead to inflammation in the body. And then now we're back at, okay, now the body's inflamed because it's, you know, we're mentally stressed and now we're back at, well, we're going to now suppress all those processes of sex drive and hormones. And, and so the other definitely becomes this, okay, we, we have to bring in that mental health aspect and that spiritual aspect whether that's, you know, meditation for some people or yoga or a hobby or whatever it is to kind of like stop leading these like crazy, like on the go lives that we're just doing constantly. Yeah. I, um, I have two questions for you. Um, well, a couple of, I think maybe it's been two years now. I read a paper talking about the astrobolome, which is part of our microbiome in our gut that actually produces estrogen, like make, makes yes. hormones. And that blew my mind because we typically think of like just our ovaries as making estrogen and, um, you know, and so that was one thing that was like this huge connection between the gut and our reproductive health or sexual health. Um, and then maybe if you could talk a little bit, not only on, you, you were saying about getting our guts healthy again and, and what foods to avoid. But you mentioned vaginal microbiome and the mm -hmm. bacteria there. Cause I think a lot of us know, okay, there's probiotics and prebiotics and eating the foods and avoiding certain foods, but how would you, um, improve your vaginal microbiome? Like, are there steps for that as well? Yeah. So there's, that's so much, that's so fun. In fact, actually, eventually at some point I'm writing a book. I mean, I am writing a book. I just don't know when it's coming out and it's going to be like the happy vagina route, uh, happy vagina diet or something, something along. It's looking at your, your diet and how it affects the vaginal microbiome and, and all these things. So I'll do the estrogen first and then we'll go to the vagina. So yeah, there actually is estrogen that's produced in the, in the gut. And um, interesting enough too, we always think of hormones as being these like sex hormones and affecting like our, you know, our, our reproduction and our periods and our sex, sexual um, like breasts and, and different characteristics we have as women, but estrogen is also a neurotransmitter. And that's been really amazing to see that um, you, it like, this is why in menopause, like right now I'm in menopause and I haven't been so good about taking my hormones. Like I do get brain fog sometimes still. And then we see, we joke around in women who are in pregnancy and their estrogen's really low. We, as gynecologists, we joke and call it placenta brain because people get a little goofy and they for, become forgetful because we need estrogen for brain function. But going back to the way the gut works, there's also, so the gut is also um, making some estrogen, but it's also responding to estrogen. And interesting enough, if our estrogen is too high, whether that's from birth control or women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, they tend to have very high estrogen. It actually slows down our gut uh, movement. So our, our ability to push food through our intestinal system gets slowed down and you're at higher risk of constipation. And when you're at higher risk for constipation, you absorb more estrogen out of your food. And so this is where we see these problems with estrogen dominance in people. And uh, sometimes when your estrogen is really, really high, we also now have problems where it causes inflammation, it can cause people to have these, you know, circular or more gut issues and increases the risk of chronic pain. So um, that's one of the problems that we're seeing with people. Also, we get estrogen from our food sources, from toxins in our food. And so this is what we're seeing a problem with estrogen excess. Um, 
So the other thing is with the vaginal microbiome, the lovely thing now is there are so many tests that you can test your vaginal microbiome, um, whether they're ones that your doctor can do, or there's a couple companies that you can just buy the test yourself. The only ones with the ones that you buy yourself, you get the results and you're like, okay, what does this mean? You don't have any kind of interpretation, but um, but sometimes you can take it to your doctor and they they might understand it, (laughs) but um, sometimes it becomes difficult because it's not, they're still not, it's still not kind of considered mainstream to do a microbiome test of the vagina. But one of the problems becomes with the vagina is when someone's getting recurrent yeast or getting recurrent like bad bacteria in the vagina, it's the source is usually coming from the gut because the way we're built as women, we have the rectum, the anus, the the vagina and the urethra so close together that it's very easy. And it's not a hygiene thing. It's just the way we're built anatomically. It's very easy for the bacteria to get passed back and forth. So this is why as women, we have a higher rate of getting bladder infections because of the bacteria in the vagina is off because the bacteria in the gut is off, then more likely to get into the bladder and cause these issues. The other thing is um, we start seeing anybody who has low estrogen. Now, on the opposite end, if we have low estrogen, that causes a thinning out of the vaginal tissue. So when we're young and we're healthy and if we're not on birth control and we're not pregnant and we're not breastfeeding and we're not menopause, you typically have enough hormones to basically feed that vaginal tissue. And what it does is it actively grows. And then when it outgrows, it's like blood supply, those old cells slough off and they contain a chemical called glycogen. And glycogen is the main food source of lactobacillus. And lactobacillus is the main species of bacteria that loves to live in the vagina. So it's like the symbiotic relationship. We provide the glycogen from our tissue. The lactobacillus eats the glycogen. And then in return, the lactobacillus produces hydrogen peroxide, which kind of almost like is this like force shield, force field, like around the vagina to keep out the bad guys because it will lower the the acid level of the vagina. The vagina is very acidic. It's about 3.5 to 4.5, which is pretty acidic. Water's like seven. Um, and so it basically protects the vagina. Now, what one of the things that can happen is, like I said, if you have a low estrogen state, the vaginal tissue starts to thin out and we basically, the lactobacillus starves to death and then all the other bacteria starts coming in, whether that's from, you know, the gut or the surrounding skin. And so women who are pregnant, breastfeeding, birth control, or menopausal have now higher risks of having vaginal infections or urinary tract infections because of that balance getting thrown off. But even things like stress can actually lower your estrogen levels and then cause you to have more of these issues. Um, Being on antibiotics, like unfortunately, when many people get bladder infections a year, and unfortunately, one of the main antibiotics that people get thrown at, they they get thrown at at them is something called ciprofloxin. Many people have heard of cipro. Um, But one course of cipro can throw your gut microbiome biome off for a whole entire year. And now what we're doing as traditional doctors, by giving that antibiotic, we're sending people up for having recurrent gut issues, recurrent vaginal issues, recurrent urinary tract issues instead of, and I get it. Like I've had a bladder infection. They stink. You want to get fixed like yesterday. You don't want to give a urine sample and have to wait a couple days to a week to get the results. But if you can just and I know, I know how bad it is, but if you really can just you know, bite the bullet, suck it up, I don't, I don't know, like drink lots of fluids just to get you through to get that when that, those cultures come back, because if we have an identification of that bacteria, we can more specifically target it. And therefore you're not taking, I mean, you're still taking antibiotics that could be doing this, but you're not going to be getting these broad spectrum antibiotics that are just like, you know, a bomb when you need when you need a hammer. So yeah. That was like the vaginal health 101 lecture that we <laughs> did when we were like 18 years old. <laughs> no, I know the things we need. And then, you know, some of the times I'm like, you know, all right, let's talk about 
Everybody loves wearing their, sorry, Lululemon, don't sue me, but you know, so people love wearing their yoga pants and they're walking around all day in their yoga pants. And, and these, some of these fabrics are not breathing. And this is like, you know, a breeding ground for like, especially yeast and bad bacteria. Or if you're in a bathing suit all day long, you know, yeast particularly likes like warm, wet, dark environments, AKA the vagina and especially the vulva and vagina in a bathing suit or in your yoga pants. So there are amazing products. Like one of my favorite is using boric acid. So boric acid has been used for zillions of years as a way to acidify the vagina. So if we can acidify the vagina, this is another way to kind of chase away these bacteria. And that used to be something that you couldn't get over the counter. You used to have to go to a doctor. They had to have it made by a compounding pharmacy. And then I want to say, and I don't know the exact year, I want to say maybe 2014-ish, don't quote me on that one. The first company that brought that to the market was a company called PhD Feminine Health and where you can just go buy that over the counter now. And so there, there's tons of options with doing that. Though I always caution people, you know, if your symptoms are not getting better, if they're getting worse and you're trying some of these home therapies, like really follow up with a, with a healthcare practitioner, but it's something at least can bridge you until you can get an appointment. Because even as a doctor, I can't get appointments with my doctor. Sometimes it takes a week or two or plus to get in with somebody nowadays. So, you know, that's, I always like pretty much anywhere, anytime I travel or anytime I go anywhere, I always have a bottle of boric acid with me all the time. So, yeah. That's a, that's a great tip. I have, I have two questions. There was just so much golden nuggets in that conversation. The first one was, so we're having this conversation about estrogen levels as related to the thickness or lack thereof of the vaginal tissue, you know, releasing that glycogen that feeds the good bacteria, that lactobacillus. When people are looking at probiotics, a lot of probiotics have lactobacillus strains in them. It's Mm. one of the most common ones in most probiotic supplements. Does that help women who are struggling with low estrogen? If they take a probiotic orally, will that help with the vaginal microbiome as well? Or would they have to be looking at a different way of supporting that microbiome? Yeah. I mean, probiotics are definitely good, but here's the problem. You could be taking all the probiotics you want orally. You could be putting them in the vagina, but if there's no food for those probiotics, it's not going to survive. So, um, this is where we're talking. If you are in a situation where that tissue has started to thin out because of those different conditions, you need to start looking at some kind of regenerative therapies. Um, and you know, in the past, all we had were estrogen creams that were a prescription, which I tend to stay away from the the prescription estrogen creams that you can get from your doctor. Because if you look at the ingredients on most of them, most of them contain propylene glycol. And propylene glycol is very irritating to mucosal membranes. This is why, I mean, what I didn't know any better, I would give these prescriptions to women and it would be like, we'd start off with one and like, I would always pick like one brand and, and people, then all of a sudden I'd get people be like, oh, this is burning. So then we thought it was the actual brand and I switched to a different brand. And then I'd have some people that did well on it. And then some people were like, oh, this is burning. And it wasn't until like, now I know better. It was probably the propylene glycol, which is used as a filler in a lot of cream. Um, we actually, unfortunately, see that in a lot of lubricants. Uh, we see that in a lot of the over-the-counter vaginal creams. Um, we see it sometimes in soaps. Um, but, it, you know, I always tell people, read the labels and try to stay away from anything that has propylene glycol in it. Um, but fast-forwarding, there you can have hormones compounded. Those are all great things to rejuvenate the, the vagina. But if you don't want to go the hormone route, since 2014, definitely since 2014 in the United States and in Europe, it was prior to that. We have so many regenerative therapies that are out there now, uh, starting with laser therapy. Um, laser, they've been using lasers since the 1980s for cosmetic purposes. But I wish I'd come up with this. It was brilliant. Somebody was like, well, if it works to rejuvenate the skin on the face, can we use it down there? And that's what they figured out. They made a little wand where you can actually take a laser and usually that's done by a, a, a practitioner and it just uses light energy and that light energy penetrates the tissue and causes a microscopic injury, which sounds terrible. But what it does is it triggers the body to flood that area with growth factors to heal. 
And in return, it regrows the vaginal tissue without having to use hormones. And so when the first laser came out in the United States, all of a sudden that opened a floodgate of everybody going, wait a minute, if we're using lasers, which are normally cosmetic for the vagina, what other things can we steal from the cosmetic world to apply to the vagina? And then the market has been flooded with things like radio frequency. It's using sound waves to um, regenerate tissue. Uh, red light therapy, which actually I had, I was just doing a video. I have a red light therapy device sitting right here. Um, this is the Joy Lux, and I'll show you. This uses red light therapy. Um, is yes, pretty bright. Yeah, so that goes in the vagina, and they know red light actually stimulates mitochondria in the cells and can uh, add to anti-aging in the cells. So that they have. Another thing I wish I came up with using things like stem cells and platelet rich plasma and what other fun things? Oh, there's something called carboxy therapy. Carboxy therapy is where you apply carbon dioxide in a gel form to the tissue and it attracts oxygen into the tissue. So now on the market now we have so many different ways to rejuvenate that tissue without having to use hormones. If you're somebody who's concerned or can't use hormones. So there's a lot, a lot of options nowadays. I had no idea some of those existed that, that these seem like game changers for women, especially as they start to transition through perimenopause and menopause, when we naturally have that estrogen start to drop. Yes, of course, we're going to want to pay attention to our gut microbiome, but also ultimately as women, our estrogen levels are going to decline. So, and I, I do feel like until recently, this is a population that's been kind of left out of the health picture just like not really had a lot of guidance. So these tools seem like that could really change the experience for so many women. Yeah, and if you think about it, we only live a minor part of our our life in that reproductive phase. I mean, you think about, all right, so people are starting to get their periods anywhere from like 10 to 13-ish on, on average. And then you're like maybe getting, you can actually go through menopause as early as 38, like, I know the internet and social media is all like 38 is early menopause, but that's actually normal menopause can start as early as 38. So average is usually in their 50s, but you can start as early as 38. So then you're like, okay, if you look at that chunk of time that you're in your full hormonal years, and then we're living to 90, we're living more years without our hormones than we are with. So why not, you know, use these different techniques and, and, you know, options to live our life to the best, because without some of these hormones, we start having brain health issues, we obviously have vaginal issues. Um, you know, what, unfortunately, one of the complaints I hear from patients is, so we need estrogen for our tissue to be elastic. So we start to lose collagen when our estrogen goes down. And so this is when um, we start hearing from women, especially if their estrogen is low, they start getting pain with any kind of sexual in- intercourse. Um, or sexual activity, let me put it there. So like men having, um, I mean, women having sex with, with men and women having sex with women, like any activity down there can put strain on the tissue. And it's it's described as like almost like there's the tissues ripping and tearing. And almost some people say it's like, feels like cut glass or paper cuts just because that tissue doesn't have that elasticity anymore. And it will, it will rip and get little tiny. So, and who wants to, you know, who wants to give up your sex life in your fifties and be like, Oh, well, that's just a normal part of aging. But unfortunately so many women do that. That's what people think. They're like, Oh, I can't do anything about it. It's a normal part of aging. I just got to put up with this. And not, not nowadays. We got tons of tons of options. Yeah. And, and people talking about them, which I think is the real kicker, right? Because so many times this was just hush hush or not, not talked about. Yeah. Um, a couple of things. One, are those products like the one you showed us, which for, if you're listening, looked like a vibrator, but with red light therapy, yes, like a lightsaber. <laughs> exactly. I can't wait to actually order one. Um, it, are these things prescription? Are they over the counter? And then my second question is, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so it's pretty easy to find doctors who will have a lot of these therapies, Mm -hmm. but for those who may not be living in a bigger city or may not have physicians who are as open-minded, like how can women kind of breach this topic with their healthcare provider? 
who may or may not either want to have hormone therapy or in addition to, or supplement with these other uh, procedures or therapies? Yeah, those are some really good questions. We'll do the easy one first, which is like, where can you get a lot of this stuff? Because that's the easy one. The second one is uh, definitely I'll get into that one. So um, the the Joylux V Fit that I showed you that is over the there's an over the counter version and then there's a medical version. Um, I sell both of them on a, a website called the Pelvic Floor Store. So that's where some gynecologists um, will carry them, and even you can get them straight from the company. So, but usually when you get straight from the company, you can only get the over the counter version. Um, so that is, that is the good thing. Uh, when it comes to looking for these actual treatments, like say you're looking and want to do laser or any of these radio frequency or rejuvenating therapies for the vagina, I have to caution people because each state is different. So let's put it this way in the state of New York, Anybody that has enough money to buy a laser can own a laser and operate a laser, which is pretty scary because you could have somebody who has no medical experience at all lasering your vagina. And to me, I'm like, you know, you come at me with something that has the potential to, I mean, cause some injury if you don't know what you're doing. I don't want like, Joe Schmo, who decided to buy a laser and open a laser center coming at me. So I really would, um, you know, ask about their qualifications. And there are other states that, that are like that. I know New Jersey and New Jersey, you have to be a healthcare practitioner um, to operate a laser. So each state is going to be def- different. Now, having the conversation is really, really difficult. I don't remember the statistics, but um, this menopause, especially, and sexual health has been taken out of a lot of the medical school curriculum. Um, there, there's awareness coming about this now, and we're trying to, you know, trying to realize that there's a lack of this, especially because people are older. These are these are real issues. And so um, that is one of one of the problems. I mean, technically, you can ask any of your doctors, but they may not be comfortable. They may not know what to tell you. Um, they might not be up on the research. I mean, with being taught in medical schools now is still like 1950s, like mm-hmm. things about sexual health. I mean, when I tell you like when women have pain, there's a condition called like vulvodynia, which just means pain in the vulva. There are so many different causes of pain in the vulva, but the textbook answer, which is going in being taught in, the, in medical schools now is that it's a psychological condition. And that's it. When there are so many different I mean, causes, there's definitely a psychological, can be a psychological component, but that doesn't mean that there's, there's orthopedic conditions, there's nerve conditions, there's infectious condition, conditions, there's inflammatory conditions. There's a lot of different things. So I find that people are probably better if they can find an integrative or functional doctor who may be at least more knowledgeable about like root causing root causes where traditional medicine doctors, um, the traditional medicine system, which is great. You know, you want traditional medicine doctors for like, if you have an emergency, but if you're really trying to get down to like, what is the cause of the problem? Your traditional medicine doctor is just not going to do it. They're, they might give you a band aid to cover things up or, you know, pill for this or pill for that, but they're really not going to address address the problem. So I would have people look specifically at people's websites, see if they mention these things. You know, I would, ask, I would start with your primary care doctor and ask them, Hey, do you know anybody that does this kind of work? Um, luckily with the internet, I mean, even though I make fun of Dr. Google, there is, you know, searching people that for people that do sexual medicine, pelvic health, you know, even surprisingly, even you can find us all out on uh, things like TikTok, though, though it's social media is a little funny. I've already gotten kicked off Instagram once for uh, talking about some of this stuff. So uh, you know, it is a little, a little tricky because I think what's frustrating is even just the word vagina. There was a study that shows 65% of women are uncomfortable saying the word vagina, yet 80% of us will have a pelvic health condition at some point in our lives. And so if we can't talk about it, we can't ask for help, we can't, you know, get, get the help that we deserve. So I even encourage people like 
just get in front of the mirror and say the word vagina until you're like desensitized and it just becomes a normal conversation. Um, is it really, that's one of the things that my passion is to normalize the conversation about around pelvic health because nobody gets squeamish if we're like, Hey, I injured my elbow, you know, <laughs> like, but you're not going to be like hanging out at work and be like, yeah, my vagina is bothering me today. <laughs> it's, it's just a body part. Like really, it's just a body part. Who cares? And, and it's funny, the more I get banned on social media, the more I fight that I'm going to just say it even more. And even then, you know, people get kind of uh, up in arms that are the people that are pro pelvic health are like, vagina is just the tube inside the body. And I'm like, yes, the vulva is everything on the outside. And the vagina is just the tube inside. But I'm just happy if people say the word vagina. Like we can move past like what are all the actual names for all the different parts, but let's just get everybody saying the word vagina first and then, then we can move forward. So, yeah. Yeah. That's such a, a good part of the conversation too, is just getting ourselves comfortable with using these terms because so many of us grew up with a sense of shame attached to that, just learned behavior. I I actually had someone cancel a meeting with me, with me this morning though. And she sent me a little note and she's like, full disclosure, got my period. Like I'm not there today. I need some me time. And I like sent her a note. I was like, I'm so proud of you for taking the time for yourself, being able to share with a total stranger that you have your period and you needed a self-care day. Like these are the conversations that I know Dr. Nicole and I are helping, hoping to normalize across women's lifespan is these are, these should be comfortable to talk about just as you would talk about your back pain or your headache or anything else going on. It's just another part of us. And, you know, and the body is, everything's connected. So it's like, I have this image that I created of where it's like a woman's body. And then I like have clouds in the background and I erased the whole pelvic region. And I used it as a post because it's like, even the medical community acts like that area doesn't exist. Because mm -hmm. like when I was um, seeing patients for, I did a lot of pelvic pain when I was practicing. And when I would see the patients for pelvic pain, the majority of pelvic pain conditions aren't the root cause is not in the pelvis. I've seen people who've had hip tear, like ligament tears in their hip. They don't feel the pain in the hip. It refers to the nerve endings in the vagina or having problems in their back or even higher up in their spine. And once you start saying that and then trying to send them to an orthopedic, because I can't, I can't do hip surgery. I can't like, you know, fix somebody's labral tears in their hip or herniated discs in their back. If I send them to an orthopedic, it was like, you know, those monkeys with their hands over their ears and the, the eyes, like hear no evil, see no evil. They're like vagina. Like that's not my specialty. That, and I'm like, it is your specialty because that's where the root cause is. So yeah, even I'm trying to even get in the, the medical professionals to be like, listen, you know, these pelvic symptoms are often have answers outside of the pelvis. So. Wow. Yeah. That's just, I mean, and if you, it, it just blows my mind because if you look, I was in the cadaver lab for a year. If, if you look at the pelvis, like the hip joint and all those muscles and the vaginal orifice or whatever we we're calling it, like it's not even two inches apart. You know what yes. I mean? I mean, distance geographically, these things are all very close and functionally, they're all close as well. So it just blows my mind that people or not people, but a lot people and doctors who have so much training get stuck in such silos and so myopic and as you know, it, it couldn't be anything else other than whatever is presenting. And it's like, wait, no, let's bring in our critical thinking skills and our observation skills and our private detective skills. You know, the, we, we need to go on a search and alert everyone, like, let's go figure this out. And so much of the time it's like, well, here's a pill or we don't know what to do. And I, I, I feel like with doctors like you and a lot that are now online that are voicing and having the conversation, it's giving the average common patient more permission, more courage, and more confidence to really advocate for themselves and be like, no, I want 
more than you just saying here, here's something to take, or I don't know what it is. Or I went to my gynecologist and I said something, I forget what it, what I was having um, a complaint about. And she's like, well, you know, you are getting older. And I was like, bitch, I'm 48. I'm not 98. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm not. T- I, I am a professional in the aging industry. I, you cannot talk to me like that. Like I, it's not because of aging. Like that might be one of the parts, very small part. Sorry. I, I'm getting very, very passionate about this, but I'm like, if they're telling me this at 47, who has an understanding of aging and longevity and what is aging and what is normal or not normal, like, and the spectrum that that holds, like, I can't even imagine someone who feels like shame or shy, or the doctor knows everything who would say anything. They'd just be like, okay, I guess this is how I have to suffer, you know? So I just want to say thank you for sharing all that you share. Yeah. Unfortunately it's too much and too often. And we really need it as women to be like enough, like this is ridiculous. You know, I also see as a urogynecologist, I mean, we've been really focusing on the vagina, but I see this also for bladder health because the incidence of incontinence leaking urine increases, start, can start as early in the 20s, and it increases as we age to where you hit your 70s. There's more people leaking urine than have a common cold at any given time. And the adult diaper industry is a bazillion dollar, in, billions and billions of dollar industry. And people just go, oh, well, that's just what it's like to get older. Or women who've had children like, oh, that's what it's like because I had kids. And they just like they grin and bear it and they deal with these diapers and this discomfort when there are so many options to fix that and you don't have to live with that. So, yeah. Yeah, that is well here to flip the script on aging and not not fall for that lie that it's just a, a slow decline that you can't do anything about. But I wanted to share with listeners something really cool that you've been putting together that's coming up here in a month or two, which is your happy vagina rally. So you've put together all of these talks with different experts around pelvic health from this kind of functional integrative lens, whether we're talking about the microbiome, but one of the topics that you talked about that Nicole and I were like, Oh, I want to know more about that was you shared that you had come up with this pelvic meditation So we'll of course share all the info for your summit because I know women are going to want to attend that. I certainly will. But tell me a little bit more about this pelvic meditation. You know, this was fun because like I said, as I kind of opened up into this more holistic body, mind, spirit aspect of things, like I kind of just started attracting different people in my life. And I had people starting to talk to me about the pelvic chakra. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. I'm, you know, I'm a doctor. I don't know what that is. And like energetically, how the pelvis is actually the seat of creativity from an energetic standpoint when we're looking at chakras. And then, like I said, talk about rabbit holes. I've gone down them all. And that with sound therapy, there's certain vibrations of sound that actually can affect our tissue on a cellular level. And then I found that... um, also something called binaural sounds. When you do separate sounds in each ear, when you listen to in a headphone, it actually has a very calming um, result on the brain. And so I, one day I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to come up with a pelvic meditation. Apparently the color orange is also very stimulating for the pelvic chakra. So I, I don't even know how I did this, but I looked into like, well, what is the frequency of sound that, supports the pelvic, the pelvic chakra. And I found music that was in that frequency. And then I was able to like watch a bunch of YouTube videos and figure out how to actually mix the music using Adobe Premiere, uh, which is like a video editing software where I could get slightly different tones in the left to the right ear. And so, um, you know, ideally you listen to it with, with headphones, um, also in the, we also talk a lot in the meditation about letting go and releasing because women traditionally hold trauma in their pelvis. Um, 
And, th- and trauma may be big trauma or maybe little T trauma, meaning like, you know, there are sometimes you have these subconscious traumas that you don't know, something that happened to you when you were younger. And it doesn't even have to be something like traumatic. Maybe somebody you were embarrassed about something. Maybe you get yelled at for something, but something that your body holds on. And women tend to subconsciously tighten their pelvic floor when they're stressed or if there's trauma. And so that actually affects the flow of energy, affects blood flow. And if we don't get enough blood flow to our organs, that's going to affect the functioning of them. So we even talk in the meditation about like accepting and talking to your vagina. Like it's almost like it's another person and being like, it's okay. You know, you're allowed to be free, like relax, like let it go. And so, um, so yeah, it's about a 25 minute um, pelvic meditation and um, I will actually get you guys a link for that. So they don't even necessarily have to even wait for the um, for the summit to, ha- to be able to have access to that. So but it was it was really fun. I'm actually thinking about doing another one. So, yeah, I feel like yeah. we need a global women's pelvic meditation <laughs> or something all at the same time. Yeah, where yeah because because of it being it. the yeah, the seat of creativity, apparently, if you can like get the blood flowing in the pelvis and open up, it actually helps you with creativity in your work life, in your personal life, you know, being able to see clearly solutions to your problems. So it's it's really it's really been a fascinating thing that I've like gotten into and it's been kind of fun. I love it. And it's not lost on me that your hair is the color of the you know what, I never chakra. even thought that's so funny. I like that. I think I will keep it like this. <laughs> that is fun. Oh gosh. Well, Dr. Betsy, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us about these important integral women's health topics. I could ask you a thousand more questions, but I want to respect your time. I took an entire page of notes with all of the goodies that I will put in the show notes, including links to the pelvic floor store. I know I want to get my hands on some of those tools on pelvic meditation. So just thank you for, for giving your time to us and being here. Oh, anytime. I love what you guys are doing. This has been great. Thank you. We have one question that we like to ask at the end. If you could tell your younger self anything, what would that be? Yeah. You know what? That's a good one. Um, I would tell myself not to take things personally and to stand, stand tough for the things that I believe in and not to question my intuition because it's, Mm -hmm. it's always right. And I have over the years logicked myself out of too many things. (laughs) Yeah. Such, Mm. such a good such a good permission for, for so many of us now and to pass on to our, our daughters and younger women in our life to just trust that little intuitive nudge and try not to get stuck in analysis paralysis and think yourself out of things that you, you know, you're meant to do. So thanks for sharing. Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is for general information and educational purposes only. It should not be considered medical advice and or treatment. Although we are both doctors, we are not medical doctors or your medical doctor. What has been discussed should not take the place of your personal medical professional's advice, treatment, diagnosis, or care. If you love this podcast as much as we do, please take the time to subscribe, share, rate, and review. And we'd love if you would follow us over on Instagram. Our handles are at dr.lauradecesaris and at Dr. Nicole Marcioni, or you can just click on the links in our show notes.